Hello. <laughs> this is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. Okay, we are your ghostesses. I said that weird, but I forgot what I was transitioning to. Uh, that's Corinne. What's wrong with me? I don't know. Maybe it's um, your excitement. Are we allowed to? <laughs> Am I allowed to? Yeah, we're allowed to talk about congratulate it. Congratulate you. Yeah. Because Sabrina is an official person. A person? She's a Hollywood writer, a star. I got a job as a writer on a new show called Prodigal Son, which comes out this fall. It's on Fox. I'm so excited about it. It's right up my alley and probably so many of our listeners' alley. It's about the son of a serial killer who is a psychological profiler for the NYPD and tries to hunt down other serial killers and he hasn't seen his dad in years and he has to go visit him in prison. The trailer is out and I lost my shit. I know. Shit I'm so excited. I, I was freaking out. I was like, I cannot believe you're a writer on this show because this looks like it's about to be one of my favorite shows of all I time. I know. I know. I know. I'm really excited. And Michael Sheen is in it, which is a big deal. And then it's Tom Payne who was in Breaking Bad. He had the long – or not Breaking Bad, sorry, Walking Dead – and he had like the really long Jesus hair and he cut it off for the show. And we know it's going to be so good because I mean, and all of our listeners will probably know too because it's from the same people as Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is one of, I think, our listeners' favorite shows. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, Greg Berlanti, who is the parent executive producer who does basically every DC comic show on WB. He do- also does Blind Spot and yeah, Riverdale, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Katie Keene, which is coming I love out. Yeah, I'm so excited. I hope you get to meet Cole Sprouse and Lily Reinhardt. <laughs> I would die if you met them. I love them. I won't because it's a very different show and that film's in... It's the same people though. Yeah, but I don't work on that show. Close enough, Sabrina. I believe in you. No, they also film in Canada and uh, Prodigal Son's going to film in New York. New York? New York. I'm so excited. So are you going to get to go to New York? Uh, probably not until, uh, fingers crossed, I continue to stay on the show and it lasts for 10 seasons and I grow as a writer and become more than just a staff writer. It's just so insane. I've told so many people. <laughs> I hope I was allowed to tell people. Yeah. Because I've been telling everyone. That's totally fine. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm like waiting for an email to tell me when I start the job and then I feel like it will feel real even though I've celebrated with quite a few drinks and champagne which makes me which I'm like kind of allergic to so it's probably not a good thing and my face turned bright red but I'm I've been very excited so I've been celebrating but I yeah I'm waiting for that email to know you don't know when you start yet I have no idea when I start I think I think well this episode comes out on Sunday so I think I start the day after I think I start on Monday but I can't confirm oh I thought you started on this Monday which is why oh oh next Monday never mind forget what I'm saying it's okay you have something to celebrate too, and I saw this from the what? calendar, our shared calendar. Oh. You graduate on Thursday. Yeah, grad school. Ton. Call me master. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I had to find it out from your calendar. <laughs> I haven't told anyone. I know. Because it just doesn't feel, I know it should feel like a huge accomplishment, but I, I have been done since like August or September. I know. So... It's been a long time. I just, the graduation isn't until spring. So I've been over it and like out of my mind. The only reason I even remember I have graduation is because I put it on the <laughs> Well, are your like parents? Someone was asking me what I was doing this Thursday and I full on made plans with someone. And then like after making plans, I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> I forgot that I have graduation. Like it's just so not in my mind. How many people are you graduating with? And is your entire family coming to support you? I have no idea how many people I'm graduating with. I have been so disconnected from 
all of that. Probably, I would guess 20 people from my program are probably graduating, which if people don't know, because I haven't talked about it much, I got my master's of science in industrial organizational psychology. Hell yeah, you did. So lady. That's done. Check. Check. And my grandparents are coming and my parents are coming. But we all just saw each other because my brother just graduated from LMU from undergrad this past weekend. Same school that Sabrina and I went to. Mm-hmm. So I saw all of my family out there. So I was like, you guys do not need to come to mine. <laughs> Corinne and her family pulled up to my apartment to give me, we got this really beautiful, uh, or we both got really beautiful dream catchers from Moonchild City. And anyway, so Corinne got it from our P.O. box and then brought it to me when she came to her brother's graduation. And her family pulls up in this like minivan and her parents are in the front and then I hear Corinne like yelling from the back because she was like all the way in the back of the car. It was very it was cute. A stressful weekend in that car, let me tell you. <laughs> my God, we almost died multiple times. By the what? end, I was swearing, what? just freely swearing in front of my grandparents. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I need... Next time, I'm going to be the driver. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I am in control. I am the captain now. I feel like everyone prefers their own driving to anyone else's. Well, here's the thing. My brother is a scary driver. He's just straight up scary. I don't love being in the car with him. He hits the brakes three seconds after I would hit the brakes. So that makes me nervous. And then my mom is so slow, which is fine when you live in Vermont. But she's so slow that in California it becomes dangerous when everyone else is so fast and reacting so quickly and she's not. And then we get in situations where it's a little scary sometimes. Yeah. California has a lot of aggressive drivers, especially in L.A. with all the traffic. Yeah, L.A. drivers, and I'll say this because everyone always picks on Boston as Boston drivers are, they say, are the worst. But having lived in Los Angeles for six years and having lived in Boston now for two years, I can say that hands down, Los Angeles is way worse at driving. Can I tell you something? And I just thought of this based on... Remember a while back I told you that sometimes I think I'm dead because people who are driving just like totally ignore me and almost like yes okay anyway so today and this is another reason I think maybe I'm dead so today I went to yoga I was like super relaxed and like you know had good energy and I went to the grocery store and I'm not kidding three people walked into me what three Sabrina that's weird it was so weird and it was like in a sequence it was like one woman and it was like two of them were employees who were working there so they they it was like shocking to me because it was like kind of rude and then I just got so like flustered and I didn't know what to say and then one of them was just like someone who just like wasn't paying attention and hit me with their cart oh my god (laughs) I know it's really weird I'm trying to think of what it could like an actual explanation like oh it must just be this but like I don't know. It happens to you too much. Was I still in yoga and my astral self went to the grocery store and bought all my groceries for me? No. Do you think you have a secret power and you actually become invisible for a few moments in time? Or there's like (laughs) a weird glitch always following you and so people think it's empty space, but suddenly you glitch back (laughs) and you're standing right there? Um, That would be cooler than the idea of people just like running into me. But how do I harness that power so I know when I'm becoming invisible? That's my question. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you see? So did you watch the new Ted Bundy movie? Yes. Zac Efron? Mm-hmm. And Lily Collins? 
Yes. Did you see that Lily Collins thinks that the victims yes. of Ted Bundy went and visited her? Yes. That's Every crazy. single night when she was prepping or maybe filming, mm-hmm. she would wake up at 3.05 on the dot and then she said she would always go downstairs or like just kind of sit up and be like, oh, what made me wake up? And then she would be flooded with images Ugh. of what seemed like the aftermath of a struggle. So she Ugh. believes that the victims that were chills. giving her like Visions. messages, giving her images of what they went through. Which is really scary because one, I think it can be interpreted two different ways. Like one, it's like, don't tell this story or it's, or it's like, li- like see this so that you can channel it in that character more. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Maybe it's like, take, take this really serious because this is my life and this is what we went through. And it's more than just a extremely attractive actor named Zach pretending to be evil it's it happened i have a hot take that i don't know maybe people disagree with i didn't like the movie i didn't either okay i I like i think they had great intentions in terms of telling liz's story and yet they didn't really tell her story at all yeah but here's the thing it's like even if they did feel like they told her story she her story it makes sense that they would skip over all of the actual like Right. No murder and everything because that's her perspective. She didn't know exactly what was going on. She just got the same mm-hmm. like little blips and clues as we did as viewers of the movie that were like, whoa, 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 didn't you just skip over everything? Right. So I understand that. And I understand the desire of wanting to tell a story of the other person, of mm-hmm. another victim of his who happens to still be living. But, and this is like shitty to say, she's not the more interesting char- character in the story. Everyone wants to see the zach yeah not zach efron but like the ted bundy thing i get that but i think i think her character is so fascinating and the idea and similar to prodigal son it's like the idea of what happens to you if someone in your life is a serial killer like what happens to you and that's all that prodigal son is studying right and they just didn't do it they just didn't yeah so I, i think psychologically her character is so fascinating but wouldn't it be interesting to then see how it kind of domino effect in like her future and her like the rest of her life and then also like what does it do to her daughter and how much did right. they it consult was too her surface level and it was too focused on like uh, just a few months span of time right right it didn't really dig deep into her emotional state it was just like oh i'm drinking alcohol now right which is why i didn't think her character was that interesting i was like no i'd rather see what zac efron's doing behind the scenes right yeah so sorry if we ruined it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet but um we didn't ruin anything. Nothing happened in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. But I just love those actors so much. So I still I still feel like I have to say I like it because... You like them. I like them and I, yeah. I like the idea behind it. So let's get into our topic. Yes. Which is dark magic, which is a topic we've been wanting to do for a long time. It makes me nervous. Should it- I spray my protection spray? It makes me nervous, too, because I feel like also we don't know much about, besides our listeners trying to, attempting to educate us on magic and on Satanism and all of those things, I still don't quite understand it. So I'm also a little concerned about treading carefully with mm-hmm. the subject. I don't want to insult anyone if I say something wrong. But here's the thing, like I feel like with any form of magic and any practice, it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. Like Ouija boards. Plenty of people use them for good. Correct. And then us as little shithead middle schoolers use them for bad. So Right. 
Right. So so when talking about this topic, it's not one, we do research. So we're doing research specifically to talk about the dark side of it, the black magic aspects of whatever we're discussing. Yes. So we mean no harm if you practice magic. Hopefully it's not dark and it's not black magic. Hopefully you're doing good and it's only white magic, but we mean no harm. I think I took more of an educational route. Okay. Or maybe more of a historical route. I did too. But what did you do? Yeah. Okay. So I chose to do the history behind one of the key players in the occult. Mm. He's considered one of the most important people. And people still are influenced by him, still look up to him, still practice within his teachings even after his death. And all of his influence is still extremely evident in today's world and even our pop, our pop culture. So I'm doing, and I'm going to butcher his name. I looked up how to say it. There were a bunch of squiggly lines and things I couldn't understand. I'm confused. Like, you know, the, the pronunciation it tells you how, but it was like somehow it just didn't tell me. Okay. I know I'm not making sense, but it's because <laughs> what I saw didn't make sense. Okay, okay. That's fine. That's fair. His name is Alistair Crowley, and he is one of the world's most famous occultists. Not only was he himself famous, but he had slash has many famous followers. Led Zeppelin was inspired by him. Daryl Hall from Hall & Oates was obsessed oh, with love Hall & Oates. Crowley for a little bit. And Crowley was also nicknamed the wickedest man in the world by the tabloids and was Whoa. thought to be a traitor to the British people. He did a lot. I mean, honestly, if you're going to have a reputation, it's kind of cool to be the wickedest man in the world. The wickedest. I don't encourage it, but I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. And he's already the wickedest. So don't try to do something to be wicked or more wicked. So Crowley was born on October 12th, 1875. October, my favorite favorite month your favorite month Mm -hmm. so he was born into a wealthy christian family in warwickshire england and his father was a preacher and crowley himself was as a child very dedicated to religion at first because his father was a preacher so he was very devout in his christianity uh but his father died when he was 11 and after his father's death crowley began to reject all of christianity and he spent his time in school in like bible school ccd he spent all of his time picking out inconsistencies in the bible and when crowley was 20 he changed his birth name which was edward crowley to alistair crowley because he didn't feel that his birth name or his childhood nicknames that his friends and family called him accurately reflected who he was nor was it a good name for fame which is something that he thought he'd one day achieve which he did so Hmm. good he changed his name i guess yeah He attended the University of Cambridge in his early 20s, and then he focused on, and this is so random, for having, I guess, become an occultist and having this reputation of being so evil. He focused on mountaineering and poetry. Wow. Sounds beautiful. Hanging out in the mountains, doing Mm -hmm. some sports, and writing some poetry. He, in his life, became a poet, a painter, a novelist, a mountaineer, possibly a spy for the British intelligence agency, but most importantly, he became an occultist. Mm-hmm. And his own mother started calling him the Beast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mother Crowley. Possibly on par with my mom's nickname for my feet, which she calls Fred Flintstone feet. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> so during Crowley's studies in college, when he when he went to the University of Cambridge, He was really good at appearing all put together on the outside and like a nice 
guy who had manners and whatnot and, you know, dressed up. But on the inside, he was planning something. He was planning spiritual domination. Oh, my God. And when he graduated, he toyed with the idea of what to do. He didn't really know what he was going to do for his career. Of course, his passion was soon to be in the cult and all of that. But he was like, "Mm -mm, maybe I'll focus on literature. And during his time as a writer, he got sick. And during his sickness, he believed that this illness opened him up to the greater understanding of mortality and the futility of all human endeavor. And so then his writings and his work in literature turned to the occult. So all of all of his work was focused on that and his poems were erotic and his romantic relationships with partners included both sexes and were also borderline sadistic. But the darkness was coming in Crowley. And in 1889, Crowley joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. What? I'm, I'm going to do an episode about that later. I wrote it down in my... I'm so excited. Okay, good. Well, I wrote absolutely nothing about okay. it other than... It was a group that studied paranormal activity and the occult. Mm-hmm. And he was very intrigued by this group and by magic. And he wanted to do more with that. And he wanted to experiment. He wanted to push boundaries. So he ended up hiring one of the experienced members of this group to then live with him and teach him all the ins and outs of the occult and assist him with his experiments involving ceremonial magic and drugs. So sometime after this, he Crowley decides that he's gonna leave Europe. It's just not the place for him. He was born in England. Eh, could do without. He's off. So he moves himself to Mexico. And here, it's he's such a weird guy because his interests are all over the place and he's just like all encompassing. So he's practicing the occult, really studying it hard, and then all of a sudden he's like, I'm gonna move to Mexico and focus on mountaineering. And so <laughs> He goes there, and then he decides to travel more, Mm -hmm. and he goes to Japan, he goes to China, he goes to India, and he goes to other places, and then while he's at these places, he also starts to practice yoga, and he begins to study Hinduism and Buddhism, which seems very different than the occult. But there's elements of that, right? Like, spirituality and occult is very connected to that. I guess. I guess if you think of, like, the yeah, from that side, but I'm thinking about, like, the dark magic side that comes with the occult, and... Maybe, like, sacrificial offerings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, the astral self, that's included. What else is included? Karma, which is ironic because he did bad things. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people who do bad things don't believe that they're doing bad things. You know? They, like, make reasons to think that they're actually doing good and, like, the world needs them. It's BS. I know. But, like. Okay, so basically Crowley was traveling around. He was mountaineering and doing stuff that he enjoyed, but also just absorbing all these different cultures and religions at once. So that's a lot of people's dreams. And this is also super cool. This is actually amazing in my eyes. Crowley was part of a group of mountaineers who first attempted to climb K2 back in 1902. And they didn't succeed, but most people actually don't succeed. I watched a documentary on K2, and everyone should watch it. Oh, my God, it's so good. You're, like, on the edge of your seat the whole time. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. But I'm pretty sure the statistic says that for all of those who make it to the top of K2, only a quarter of them, or maybe it's half of them, I think it's a quarter, though, make it back down alive. Yeah. So even if you make it up, doesn't mean you're done. The hardest part is getting back down the mountain. And don't a lot of people just disappear and, like, no one ever finds their bodies because it's such a treacherous mountain. 
Yeah, probably. It's definitely harder than Everest. Yeah. Scary. No, thanks. So he tried, but they didn't succeed. But I still think it's so cool that he was in the first group that attempted it. And after all of these adventures, Crowley was like, okay, I think maybe I'll go back to Europe. I'm done venturing around. And he moved to Paris and he became friends with famous artists. And one of these artists introduced Crowley to his sister, Rose Kelly. And Crowley ended up marrying this artist's sister, Rose. And what's interesting is that Crowley's thoughts and desires became so, so dark like throughout his life. And yet his poems about Rose were all light and loving and romantic. Hmm. So he had a little soft spot for her. Makes me wonder if there was some mental illness going on. I think, yeah. Honestly, and drugs and alcohol. Right. Which I'll talk about. Of things. There was a lot of everything. Yeah. But then it doesn't it also make you wonder if some of the most genius people or people that are tapped into something we don't understand are also mislabeled In under what mental way? illness. It's, it's, I'm just thinking of the OA. It's like the whole thing. Right. I'm thinking of, so I just watched the act on Hulu and it's Gypsy Rose, her boyfriend who then killed her mother had an illness. I think it was schizophrenia. And so he was, one part of him was so loving. And then the other part of him, it was like, if you asked him to do things, he would do bad things. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to tell. I'm not, right. I'm no and doctor. I'm also not a medical professional. Yeah. So yeah. I have no idea. You don't claim to be. No, I don't claim to know or to do or anything. <laughs> but Crowley married Rose. At first, at first he said the marriage was just out of convenience, but then they ended up really falling in love. And on their honeymoon, they went to Cairo, Egypt, and this was in 1904. And Crowley claimed to have met an entity there on their honeymoon. And at the time, his wife Rose had been meditating and informed him, like, in this trance, she was all out of it. But she informed him that the god Horus was waiting to speak to him. So Crowley's like, okay, well, I need to find Horus now. So he starts meditating. And he, instead of meeting Horus, he meets a being called Alwas. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. And this entity, this paranormal entity, was Horus's messenger. And Alwas gave him the Book of the Law which is a sacred text which Crowley then used to create Thelema, which was Crowley's religion centered around magic. And this religion encouraged people to, quote, this is like one of their sayings, do what thou wilt, hmm. and then align themselves with their true will through magic. And tabloids called Crowley the messiah of anti-Christianity and a prophet in Thelema. And after this encounter that he has with these paranormal beings, Crowley just goes all in. He's like, I have the key. I know what's up. I know better than everyone else. I've been introduced to the paranormal world. And actually, we could draw parallels to his his visit with these beings and writing sacred texts to Christianity, which he grew up studying. There's a lot of parallels in that story about, you know, visits from saints or angels and stuff like that. Right. Inspiration. So... He's like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. This is my mission. So he then just goes all in. He's done dipping his toes in a bunch of other areas. He's just like, this is it. This is my religion. And he wrote a ton of literature on it. He traveled around to spread the words of Horus and Mm -hmm. of this new religion, Thelema. And I hope I'm saying that right. God. And he wrote a periodical for the members of Thelema as well. So at this time, he's just completely surrounded by darkness and he's just throwing himself into this work. While he's doing that, 
his wife, Rose, she begins to drink. And they have a daughter together, but their daughter ends up passing away. And Crowley believes that, or believed that it was Rose's fault, that it was her inability to stay alert because she was just taken to the bottle and trying to avoid what was happening around her. That breaks my heart. I know. But despite what happened to their first child, they do have a second child who lived with Rose when Crowley and Rose eventually divorced. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and Rose was eventually institutionalized. She went. Jeez. She had things. So. But did she choose to be institutionalized or was she forced? I have no idea. Yeah. Was any did anyone choose to be institutionalized back in nineteen like ten? I bet. I bet the facilities yeah. were awful. So probably uh-huh. forced. Yeah. So, even though Crowley's called like the most evil man, the most wicked man in all of the world, I can't find any real details on what he did exactly like i know that he used dark magic black magic and okay well here's one thing i can tell you which maybe might give us some idea as to what he was doing but alistair crowley had moved to italy and he moved into a home nicknamed the abbey of thelema and in the abbey he would practice magic and he would hold rituals and some of these rituals included sacrificial offerings which I didn't read too much about the sacrificial offerings, but I do know one of them was cats. <gasps> you cats. didn't have to tell me that, Corinne. I want you to know he's evil. Yeah, now I'm, I mean, I already thought he was evil because he had that title, but now, now I hate him even more. Yeah, now there's like some actual backing to it. F him! Yeah. And he also had expensive paints flown in from like France or somewhere. And he painted demons all on the wall of this building and satanic symbols and sacred coil snakes and just all this stuff. And he drew a bunch of beasts as well, these kind of creatures on the wall. And his thought was that when they took drugs, when they were in like their own psychedelic trip, that these beings would like come to life and interact with them from the wall. That's what trips are. That's when you hallucinate. Yeah, that's what that was his goal, which is interesting because he was... He wanted everyone to hallucinate and trip, and yet and yet, the things that he himself saw, which some could argue would have been a hallucination, mm-hmm. he believed to be true and wanted everyone to believe him as well. Right. So he was all over the place. He also had massive orgies. <laughs> as you time. do when you're practicing black magic. Right. Even he was like, had his kids and his wife at this time too. And he'd <gasps> go into the town and hook up with sex workers and then invite a bunch of people back and have these big orgies at the house and honestly what's even worse than doing i mean to each their own do whatever but his children he was with his wife at the time and his children were just freely roaming the abbey they like lived there and so they then would walk around and they could see what was going on they could see all the satanic rituals they could see the darkness they could see the orgies it was inappropriate yeah those poor children so then this is where i'm like this is how we know he was super evil probably aside from killing cats right mussolini because remember he was in italy at this Mm -hmm. time mussolini got word of what crowley was doing and kicked him out of the country oh mussolini so mussolini who everyone thinks of as like one of the worst fascist leaders ever yeah he kicked crowley out for being too evil well I don't know. Was it for being too evil or was it because Italy or Mussolini is mostly Catholic and probably didn't want the darkness around? Yeah. Like, did he view him as a threat? One evil eye eyeing another. Yeah. 
too much power, it's possible. Mm -hmm. So once Crowley was no longer in Italy and when he was divorced from his wife and his surviving child was living with his wife, he was like, I can just move around again. I can start teaching Thelma to everybody. I can encourage people to join the order. And so he did just that. And he went around and he socialized with all the rich and famous and he continued to write about the occult and he had sex with many, many, many people. And he got deeper and deeper into the black magic, Hmm. dark magic. And he eventually, though, even though he's in this world, somehow he finds love again and he remarries and he moves again back to England. And eventually he passes away at age 72. He had developed chronic bronchitis. And on December 1st, 1947 at age 72 Crowley passed away and only 12 people attended his funeral though hundreds of thousands of people practiced his teachings or were at least familiar with him and who he was Mm -hmm. but only 12 people came actually came to his funeral so it makes me wonder all all of the things online were like oh so even though people believed in what he was teaching they still hated him he was a wicked man Mm -hmm. but it also makes me wonder if maybe some of the things he did at the rituals or in his teachings were maybe so scary that people were afraid once he was of the same plane as spirits of involving themselves with him like what could he do now but wouldn't you want to then go to his funeral out of fear that he if you didn't go he would enact revenge on you oh my gosh i don't know i would just maybe if you were someone that was close to him but if you were a part if you were just one of the thousands i I would stay home. Yeah. You know, just try to hide. Hide in plain sight. But he knows where you are. He does. And he'll probably visit me tonight because I'm talking No. About <laughs> uh, but Crowley's influence is seen all over the place today. He is one of the famous people that appears on the cover of the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yes. He's included in that. And Ozzy Osbourne wrote a song called Mr. Crowley, referencing him. David Bowie also referenced him in the song Quicksand. Led Zeppelin's vinyl, Led Zeppelin 3, has the motto of Thelma inscribed on it, which is, do what thou wilt. And Daryl Hall of Hall and Oates believed that he actually descended from Aleister Crowley. And what? he practiced the dark arts for a while, I think like a decade. He should do 23 and Me and figure out if that's real. Oh my god, I know. I know. It's so crazy. So he's, I mean, those were just a few that I wrote down. I was like, okay, I'll just write down the biggest names that I can see that everyone will recognize. Right. I mean, think of how many others. And it's not like all of these bands are like hardcore rock bands. Some of them are like soft, soft rock. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? It also reminds me of, I wrote this down so I didn't forget to bring it up. It reminds me of the Black Tapes. And I bet there was inspiration in that from... Alistair Crowley's story just like the idea of this guy traveling the world to find the place or like the the you know the occult in the way and like mm-hmm. his belief of this is what the world is and it just reminded me of that totally totally and in, all over the place and yeah. at the same time it was so weird he was like still having romantic relationships and like mountaineering and doing yoga like being all zen and yet his practice and his mind turned very, very dark and very evil and very yeah. wicked and tr- almost connecting to like, it sounds like a lot of what he taught was, wouldn't necessarily be considered evil, but the way he practiced it was. 
Yes. And I, I, I believe that bad people want love too, or similar to Ted Bundy and so many other serial killers, they, they get married, they fall in love, whether it's real or it's this like cover of I'm a bad person, but I need to look and fit into what society believes is normal. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he just had so many interests. And this is actually why I wrote this part out to end it. Although he is the wickedest man in the world, or so people say, he accomplished a lot in his life. So if ever me, you, Sabrina, are Mm -hmm. phantoms, if anyone is feeling lazy or feeling like you don't have time to do all the things you want to do, remember what I'm about to tell you. (laughs) In Aleister Crowley's life, He joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He was trained in ceremonial magic. He then moved around. He went mountaineering. He tried to climb one of the most difficult mountains in the world, K2. He met, fell in love, and married two women. He studied Christianity, Satanism, Hinduism, Buddhism. He practiced yoga. He authored numerous publications. He took up painting. He spent World War I advocating for Germany instead of his home country, which is actually why people people think that he maybe worked as a spy for the british intelligence services they think it was all just a ploy Mm. he moved to america at one point he became a social critic he experimented with drugs he enjoyed sexual relationships with both sexes he practiced black magic and he created his entire own religion which he then spread across all of the world honestly yes he did a lot but i would rather do nothing than all of the things that he did yes same except i do like that he studied all of those different religions and that all of his mountaineering maybe take out take out the scary parts but the sad thing is that he he was so well versed in all of these beautiful religions and yet he didn't learn from them you know like he well if so i looked up the religion itself and i didn't write anything down because i was like i'm just gonna screw it up mm-hmm. if i try to talk about it but it does sound like it includes a lot from all of the different religions. Like, I believe it does include astral projection, includes, like, the just yoga in, it, in and of itself is included mm-hmm. in this religion. It's just a modge podge of things. But I think, again, it was how it was meant to be pieced together that maybe right. is what turned bad. Hmm. But I couldn't find, I kept Googling, I was like, Crowley evil like whatever his ritual ceremonies but and I couldn't find like actually what he did besides sacrificing a cat I wonder if it's kind of been wiped for a reason just the idea of if it's out in the world other people will do it other people will follow it right and so it's better to not publicize it he also did live in the early 1900s so social norms were very different then so maybe he was I mean this guy was like free spirit what would maybe resonate with some of the hippies of the 60s he was like doing drugs practicing whatever religion he wanted meditating having sex with whoever he wanted and however many people he wanted at the same time so Mm. maybe it was so shocking to people at that time that he was he couldn't have been anything other than wicked well he killed cats so he's 100 percent wicked but yeah he killed (laughs) cats so that's done and who god knows what else he killed i just saw cats but yeah he's like one of the, the main guys in the history of the occult. That's so fascinating. Practiced a lot of dark magic. We just don't know what it is, which is maybe <laughs> good. So we're not broadcasting it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is a form of dark magic or it's a form of magic that, like we said, has its good, its pros and its cons. It okay. can you be used in the form of white magic, but I'm going to talk about it specifically used in black magic. 
And oh. it's called Obi, which is spelled O-B-E-A-H, just in case people want to look it up. And it's very popular in the Caribbean. And so it's said that when Jamaicans or people in the Caribbean hear the word Obi, they associate it with something bad, wicked, evil, satanic, all of those words kind of come to mind. And people are very scared of it. And it inflicts deep fear. And a lot of people actually try to dismiss it because they're so scared of it. They'd rather, similar to ghosts, they'd rather say, no, 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 it's not, you know, it's not real. No one can really do this dark magic because it's easier to do that than to accept that it possibly could harm you and there are some dark, maybe possible, could kill you. It is the practice of spiritual healing, but also that's kind of more of the like white magic aspect of it. And most historians believe Obi originated in West Africa. It translates to the word doctrine, but in other... Oh, okay. I have heard of this then because in the African setting, rang a bell. Yes. It, that's where it came from. And But there's different places in West Africa that it was practiced. And so in some places, it was translated into the word doctoring. So like something positive. But in other places, it would translate to witchcraft or bad omen. So it just depends on where you came from and then it just basically what version of it you prefer to practice. And it's been widely debated as to where it originated. Many believe West Africa, but it's been practiced in different forms in Egypt, Arabia, and many Hebrew kingdoms. But then it was brought to the Caribbean when West Africans were enslaved by European colonists and brought to the Caribbean. So since their masters were predominantly Christian, the slaves were expected to convert to it as well. But so many people so many of these men and women wanted to stay true to their roots and practice the things that they had when they were at home. And so Obi became a very popular magic religion amongst the enslaved, but they had to hide it from their eyes of their masters. So in order to do so, they started using Christian symbolism as a key to, or just like a a notifier to other men and women who were enslaved of like, we're going to go do this magical operation or this magic practice. Okay. Yes. Okay. This is so ringing a bell. I think honestly, I don't know if I talked about it or just read it in the um, episode that we did with voodoo magic when I did the uh -huh. like zombie people. Oh right. In yes, the Caribbean. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you mentioned it. Probably because it is popular. Yeah, and it's brought over from Africa to the Caribbean. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And many of the practitioners, like I said, focus on white magic, but a lot of them didn't mind using black magic to harm people. And I think this is one of the things with Obi is that these people were also enslaved so when in the Caribbean I feel like they were given such horrible conditions in their life that yeah I feel like you would go to a darker aspect of magic to have some version of freedom or revenge on the people who are treating you so poorly mm -hmm. right and so it combines the practices of many other religions such as Palo, Voodoo, Santeria, and Hoodoo and it's one of the practices that has no written doctrines. And so that's why there's so many various forms of it because there's no there's no version of the Bible or the Torah to actually follow. It's just like kind of word of mouth and you learn from your ancestors or from people, you know, your neighbors. They don't worship gods and deities. It's just everyone makes it their own. But the main focus kind of universally of Obi is the connection of humans and spirits. And so just a little bit of history in the Caribbean, 
1760, the slaves just kind of at the, were at their wits' end and grew sick and tired of their captivity. So the Obi men and women contacted the spirits of their plane and asked for strength and protection to stand up to their masters. And it resulted in this slave rebellion. But when the rebellion ended, the European colonists grew outraged and they realized that the practice of Obi or they believed the practice of Obi led to this rebellion and Obi was this horrible, terrible thing. And so they banned it. But as we know, when things are banned, it doesn't mean that people stop doing it, especially in this situation of like, you can't take away the one thing that we have from our home, you know? Right. And so these West Africans became more strategic and careful in how they practiced it. They would practice charms and their connection to the spiritual world, which allowed them to predict the future. And when banned, the practitioners also became outraged and many turned towards the darker side of Obi. They used their knowledge of chemicals, oils, and herbs to manufacture elixirs that were very poisonous. And so sometimes they'd have clients come to them and sometimes even the European colonists would come to them and they would give a lot of them the poisonous elixirs and tell them it was for something else that would help them with their problems. But also a lot of cases when fellow slaves would come to them, they'd give them these elixirs to then serve to their masters to kill them. The deaths of all these masters resulted in many of the enslaved men and women to flee. And so there's this whole legend of when they were in hiding, there was a protector and her name was Nanny or Queen Nanny. And she was a spirit or she was believed to be a spirit who came down to earth to protect all these men and women who just presented as a woman but had no sex, wasn't actually a gendered human being. But she was their leader and she was called the Obi Woman who possessed a wide knowledge of herbs and other traditional healing methods and served as a physical and spiritual leader. And she used her Obi powers to kill British soldiers with a boiling pot without a flame that all the soldiers would fall into. So like basically they'd be charging at them and there would like be this pit that opens up and it would be boiling water, if that makes sense. She could also cultivate food almost instantly to feed her starving forces she could catch a bullet mid mid air, so like a bullet would be coming at her, and she could just catch what? it and stop it. Whoa, that's a skill. Pays to be a spiritual body or a spirit in a body, and her fame actually drew many men and women to join in practicing obi. And in doing so, it was believed that people would become invulnerable to the white man and his weapons. So, like if you joined obi, you'd be protected from anything. Like nothing could actually physically harm you. And it was also believed that Obi men and women who were kind of higher up, who would practice for a really long time, had the ability to restore life to the fallen body. So if you died, people could restore your life. Oh, wow. This just continued to drive the colonists mad. And similar this is, to- Sorry, this is just almost reminding me of American Horror Story. Coming. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many influences. Just bringing people back to life and restoring right. bodies. and. Well, that's the thing. It, it, that it takes magic. a lot from other- magical forms like voodoo and which is more popular in louisiana yeah so okay yeah so the colonists are going crazy and they're like we need to stop this we need to put an end to it we need to establish our control this is our land these people need to stop they are our slaves horrible terrible things and so similar to the salem witch trials and all the witch trials and witch hysteria across the world these poor men and women were starting to be accused of practicing obi 
and trying to poison their masters. So they were arrested, put to trial, and like tortured to death. Just horrible, horrible things. And they were accused also of stealing people's shadows and then propositioning themselves as healers to manipulate people who wanted their shadows back. Which is complicated. I don't totally, totally understand that. Mm-hmm. But interesting. There was also an instance where a comet appeared in the sky. The European colonists believed it was the OB men and women attempting to take them out and that it was like a spiritual thing. And OB was actually against the law in Jamaica starting in 1760 all the way kind of until it was like a recent thing where they disbanded that law. And also still thousands of people still practiced it. They're they're loved and feared. They, They kind of play all these different various roles depending on what you believe. They're healers. They're also executioners. They're loved and they're feared. They were fathers to all, but also demons to many. And a lot of children in Jamaica are told the legend of the OB and legends of the OB. And it's kind of like a warning to children. There are tons of different OB spells. And there's no doctrine, but many OB practitioners use talismans, oils, and incense to influence spirits on this plane. And over time, it evolved to become more personal. And so because of this, practices it combines practices from Catholic mysticism, also practices of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and the Jewish Kabbalah. So similar to Aleister Crowley, how he studied all these religions and kind of combined them into his. So kind of similar to that. Mm-hmm. The most common practices are used for money problems, health problems, legal disputes, and breakups. Like a lot of people will go to OB practitioners after they're broken up with. And there was one, I read this review on this guy's website who is an OB practitioner. And I'll talk about him later because he's like the most popular one, apparently, according to Google. This guy broke up with her. So she reached out to this man and told him her issues. And within four days, her boyfriend came crawling back to her. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that's a good thing. Clearly, they're, you yeah. know, maybe find someone else or take a month and then decide. OB men would recommend different remedies depending on the client and depending on the issues. So there was oil remedies, massages, or they would communicate to ancestors from beyond the grave through incantations. There was a lot of like dancing rituals. There what they are and were some sacrificial rituals, but I don't think that was common practice. It was just depending on personal practice. Mm-hmm. And this is where it becomes similar to voodoo. The Obi practitioners would sometimes use physical objects. They'd collect people's hair, clothing, or skin, and then put it on similar to a voodoo doll. They'd use that. There are also many legends. Wait, sorry. Their skin? Yeah. There was a, what there's the? some weird skin stuff happening in this practice. Ugh, sick. Okay, Also, sorry. like, how do you... How do you get people's skin? Yeah, is it like a flake of dead skin? Ooh. Is it maybe some scalp, like dandruff, or is this clipping some skin off of someone? I don't know. I don't Nasty. know. Nasty. There are also many legends and spiritual beings that Obi was utilized to protect people against, and the first one is the old Ig, who's a terrifying creature who is said to shed its skin. So that's another skin thing. And it's said to poison newborn infants. And people were so terrified of old Ig that they would utilize Obi protection. And part of it, they would have to burn parts of their own skin and call to the spirits of this plane to drag old Ig away from their children. Then there's also the Duen, who are children who died before being baptized and then were forced 
because they weren't baptized, they were forced to forever walk the earth at night. And their most notable physical feature is the fact that their feet and knees face backwards. What? Yes, very strange. They're almost always naked, another strange thing. They attempt to lure children into the forest. They also have no faces and they wear these hats to kind of cover the fact that they have no face. They kind of remind me of black-eyed children a little bit. Oh. And they only have like a small mouth, which they are able to speak through. And they enjoy playing pranks and they make children come follow them deep into the forest till they get lost. And a lot of these children are never found again. Oh, no. I know. This is so witchy. Yes, very. And although, but it's like, so they seem very evil, but it seems only targeted and geared towards humans because they also are very protective of the animals in the forest. And that's so interesting because when I think of like, the witch in the cabin like Mm -hmm. hansel and gretel and stuff you you think no one's safe right right only animals i guess so they'll heal injured animals but they'll also make fake animal calls in different directions to make hunters look at the wrong direction Mm. so they protect animals so only the purest of souls are safe yes and so because of these duan children many people seek protection from the obi men and women and they're told to avoid calling their children's name in public because once these children hear your name, they're likely to never leave you until your child is dead or gone. Oh, what? Yeah. So they're focused on harming children. And once they find you, they're extremely clingy. A lot of them this will call. up. I know. A lot of them cause chaos within their homes. And without Obi intervention, the Duen will never leave you alone. Not until you and your family and children are all dead. Okay, this is horrifying. And these are ones that can be summoned through Obi. And also, similarly, they can also be called away. So it's like depending on who you go to and you don't want to cross an Obi practitioner, I guess, if they're practicing dark magic. So these two creatures or demon type creatures are called the Moko Jumbi and then the Sukayant. They're both French terms. And the Moko Jumbi is a French term for giant spirit. It's known to dance. It's a malevolent entity known to be an instrument of death. But depending on who you ask, it's also known as a healer or a ghost or spirit that can foresee danger and evil. And because it's so tall, it can stand over an entire village and see anything bad that's about to happen. So like if a a guy wielding a knife is walking into someone's house, he can like call, he can basically stop it and prevent it from happening because he's so tall. Then there's a soikoyant. And it's a vampire that appears in the form of a fireball. But a it, vampire. But it's also called the old hag, which is kind of a legend that goes throughout many, many cultures. Yes. But this version appears as a reclusive old woman, but at night she can strip her skin and then fly as a fireball across the sky in search of a victim. I don't know Ooh. how she chooses her victims, but once you're chosen, it's kind of inevitable and very difficult to prevent her from finding you because she can enter your home through any hole. Like a crevice between the door, she can enter through keyholes. So she's just like, yeah, she, there's you can't prevent her from entering your home. Apparently there's like a method where you you can get a spell from an OB or you can get there's like grains of rice you have to line the outside of your house with but there can be no break between the line of rice which is just very difficult and also sounds very tedious and then once this vampire old hag type creature enters your home it will then suck blood from their victim which can lead to death or it can lead to the victim turning into a soy i'm saying that wrong i know themselves and then 
they will once the old hag takes this blood from their victim it's basically sucking the energy out of their victim and then they go to this demon named basil and trade this energy for more evil powers so they just level up yeah basically yes (laughs) it's like pokemon it literally is this is the game Obi has been greatly influenced by the works of an American occultist. His name is Laurent William de Lawrence, and he reminds me a lot of Andrew Crawley because, or sorry, why do I keep saying Andrew? Alistair Crawley. Because we always talk about Andrews. I know, our last episode was so many Andrews. Because he is terribly feared. It's so feared that in Jamaica and Caribbean nations, local authorities have banned his work. And if people are found in possession of his books or his texts, they could be arrested. It's just so dark. He wrote about tarot cards, divination, and Kabbalah, but it was widely rumored that in some cases, the books themselves have changed their words on their own while you're reading the text. What? What? And and sometimes it will say, put the book down, like a warning, like don't read on. Others have reported that men and women have, while reading the book, stones will randomly be thrown and hit them. From unseen I know that forces. this is messed up, but I want to read the book now. <laughs> Please don't. I just want to see the text change on itself. It's I know. like in Harry Potter. Don't you want to read it? Uh, I think I could be okay without it. I'd rather read okay. um, the history of divination. But yeah, so it seems like these ghosts of this plane are preventing or trying to prevent men and women from studying his his works because they're so bad and evil. And in some horrible cases, there are people who have gone insane after studying the writings of DeLorence. There are still a lot of Obi men and women today who are still working and practicing. It's a lot more common in rural areas than urban areas. According to a BBC article from 2013, up until recently, the practice of Obi was punishable by flogging or imprisonment. It just took so, so, so long to get rid of that law because people were so terrified of Obi. Mm-hmm. So there's this man. This is the guy who helped the woman bring her girlfriend or boyfriend back in four days. His name is Ebenezer White, and he has a whole website called obirituals.com, and he details spells and readings, and he does spells and readings for people and also helps initiate people into the Obi religion or practice because it's not really a religion. He learned it through his father. He recently moved to the UK. I think he came from Trinidad when he was 15 years old, moved to Jamaica, and then moved to the UK. He's believed to be a scientist or an Obi man who has helped people find love, find or make money. Like there was one guy who wrote that he, within days, won a ton of money at the casino. And he also does psychic readings and can tell and predict futures. Wow. But there are many stories of Obi, the pros and cons of its power. So I'll read, I'll tell you a few stories. There is a woman named Chiquita who was a very hardworking single mother. She had a son and she did literally everything for him. She worked three jobs. She was just so giving. And one day she met a man, Jeffrey, and they quickly fell in love. But there was one problem. Jeffrey was married. Not only was he married, he was married to a woman who practiced Obi and voodoo. And her name was Wilma. And she was horrible to Jeffrey. She, like, got drunk. She would steal his money. She would physically and mentally abuse him. When Wilma learned of the affair, she went crazy. She found them once in a cafeteria and literally tore apart the place. The cops had to be called. And she starts threatening Chiquita and Jeffrey and saying, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. And it took eight officers to restrain her. Eight. Whoa. 
that is wild that is the weird thing it's like we've talked about it so many times especially with cases of possession that it normally mm-hmm. and it's i don't want to say it but normally a female can be overpowered by just one yes male mm-hmm. eight people eight people yeah and, there, about that. and there's one thing to speak of adrenaline but and i can't speak from experience but i can't imagine finding your significant other with another woman would cause that much adrenaline yeah you can be furious but eight men that's crazy yeah that's crazy and so wilma okay so after this wilma goes nuts she starts to stalk taquita and jeffrey jeffrey leaves wilma they get a divorce and Chiquita starts to suffer from horrible nightmares. She had, a, like, for three nights, she had nightmares of these bats flying and eating her. And she would wake up. And on the third day, she woke up, but she found herself unable to move. She was paralyzed, and none of the doctors could diagnose her. She basically was hospitalized. And two years go by, and she still can't. She's paralyzed. She's still paralyzed. There's no, and then, and then they consult a white magic OB. And they're like, it's too late. There's no, it. like, had you come to me a day after, maybe there would have been something we can do. But uh, Chiquita's going to die. What? And so a year later, so three years after this third dream, she dies. And Whoa. at her funeral, Wilma shows up in a red dress, cackling in joy, like watching. But then Wilma actually died a year later when she choked on a chicken bone. So karma. <laughs> whoa yeah there is a story in georgetown guyana guyana i think that's how you say it where um this man died and they were about to go bury him but when they lifted him up to go put him into his casket they found this black chicken that was alive underneath the corpse corpse and oh what it was holding these slips of paper that poor chicken i know well yeah and i think it anyways i think it ended up dying at the end of the story but so with this chicken there are a bunch of slips of paper and on the slips of paper it had names birth dates the addresses of these people and their death dates okay my mind is blown (laughs) yeah so people believe it's a form of obi but they can't really verify where it came from or who did it or what but yeah maybe it was the man who died himself like maybe he from the other side from beyond the grave predicted this okay and then this story it's the last story i will tell it's a little bit i imagine okay i think it could be triggering for people who have been sexually assaulted or assaulted at all so if you want to skip forward you can so in saint lucia there's a story of an ob man who withdrew from society and he lived in this swamp he rarely visited the village except for when he really needed sustenance and so one day he goes to the village and he meets this woman and he becomes obsessed with her and this woman is married but he's so obsessed. He, he's overcome by his desires and he practices dark magic. So he waits until the new moon and at the stroke of midnight of this night, he performs this ancient ritual that allowed him to leave his body in the form of an evil spirit. So basically, he's allowing himself to get possessed, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes to the woman's house. He knocks on the door and the husband opens. And when the husband opens, he blows this magic dust into the face of this man and the husband basically crashes to the ground in in a deep sleep almost like a coma like his heart rate was super low and then this sorcerer goes up to the wife and bewitches her with a spell and has sex with her 
aka raped her until just before dawn. And so when the man and women, woman awake the next morning, neither of them have any recollection of what happened that night before, but the woman has a scratch on her and it's painful and kind of burning. And so then fast forward to the next new moon and the same thing happens again. And this time when the woman wakes up, she grows terribly ill and depressed. And so her brother comes to visit her and recognizes the scratch. And he, he was like, you're under an OB spell. So they visit this OB woman who practices white magic and she gives the woman and her husband an herb that would counteract the magic powder. And so on the next new moon, the sorcerer again decides to go and do what he had been doing the past few months or new moons. And he returns, knocks on the door, blows the powder into the husband's face. But this time, because the husband and woman had this magic elixir that the white magic Obi had given them, the husband fakes asleep and he lays on the ground, pretends he's sleeping. And so when the sorcerer goes up to find the woman, her husband appears behind the sorcerer and, and stabs him. And keep in mind, it's like a spirit. So he's, it's not oh my physically him, really. And so the husband starts stabbing him with this sharp knife and plunging it into the spirit's back. And the evil spirit shrieks and then returns to his home in the swamps and kind of goes back into his body. But when he gets back into his body, his physical body is gushing blood. He's dying and there's nothing he can do. And weeks later, a hunter actually was in the forest and smells this horrid, ran- horrible rancid smell and enters this home, which is out in the forest, and finds the sorcerer, the dark magic Obi, dead, oh. decaying and dead. And that's Obi and dark black magic version of it. Oh my gosh. It's so scary. I know. It reminded me of like three different seasons of American Horror Story <laughs> all in one. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And Well, I think the, the biggest reason that it reminds you of so many different things is because it combines so many different practices. It's not right, just right, right. one version. It's just so scary to think that there's a spirit that has enough power to do all of those things to people. Yeah. Yep. And is only getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, and some people believe that Obi men and women who practice the dark magic actually are much stronger as spirits because it's like so evil and negative. And so they can kind of do more harm from the spirit world, which is horrible. Like, stop. Just put an end to yeah. it. Die. <laughs> stop it. Die when you're dead. Just bad people. Die when you're dead. Very few people have to be told that. <laughs> Only mad people. Good spirits Just can stay. die when you're dead, okay? <laughs> yeah. Man, oh, man. Yeah. What an interesting topic. I know. It's fascinating. It's very historical this week. Right. Yeah. But it's just, it's like, it's something that we don't understand either. Right. Because I think unless you're in it and unless you practice it, you can't really understand what truly goes on. Right. And and I feel like it's also... Hereditary is not the word, but I feel like it's passed on through families. Like, if your parents practice dark magic then they kind of mm-hmm. make you do it and actually the listener story i picked is kind of about that mine too really interesting oh we're on the same are we connected <laughs> kind of i think so i think so all right this is from nia it's called illuminati devil bruja magic mm. hi ladies i love your podcast i've binged it since i found you guys I have a few stories, but I have one that stays with me because it happened to me specifically. So this happened around 2010, and the start of the story is very lame, but let me explain (laughs) that I was maybe 13 years old. 
So me and my stepbrother were on YouTube looking up, and sorry, here comes a lame pitbull music videos. Not oh, lame well. <laughs> at all. That's amazing. Did you see that uh, video online that went viral, and it's a girl, and she's bawling her eyes out because she saw pitbull, and she's no. so excited. <laughs> no, I have not seen that. Okay, anyway, we just heard a song, and we kept playing it over and over. If you know YouTube, you know you just start clicking the related videos and getting into a black hole that is the internet. Mm-hmm. Around clicking the 10th related video, we found a video of the Illuminati represented in the music industry. Now, being 13, I never really knew much about the Illuminati, except for the fact that my grandmother's father was in some sort of Masonic church when he was alive. We started to get into a weird loop of super negative dark videos. I started to get scared, (laughs) low-key, but then I felt the air change. It was heavy, thick almost. My stepmom came in and saw that we were watching and got kind of mad, but didn't tell us to stop watching, and she started to explain to us what looking at the videos brings into our house and into our lives. Let me go back a little because this is kind of important. My stepmom, when she was young, used to mess with black magic. Mm -mm. I'm talking the real deal black magic using a Ouija board for negative outcomes, sacrificing, cursing others, the whole enchilada. <laughs> I kind of want an enchilada now. Me too. I kind of want a chinchilla. <laughs> Not to eat, but to have, to play. Okay. <laughs> she lived in a mostly Hispanic community in Santa Ana, California. And in this Hispanic community, bruja magic was and is still popular. I believe back then, though, it was more acceptable to dabble on the dark side of it. She told me that she used to live next door or the street over from a bruja shop. One of the stories she told me that she personally did was a sacrifice spell to banish someone from your life. She sacrificed a hummingbird and hid it under her bed. She said that night when she went to bed, she was floating over her body sleeping and that this happened for a while. Okay, so I'm assuming you have to sacrifice one animal to then or one life to then. I hate it. Make the spell work on someone else. To make this sidebar short... She wanted to banish her aunt, who she hated. Her aunt got cancer shortly after, she said. Anyway, that's not the story I'm emailing you about. I'm emailing you about what I felt. So after she came in the room and started to scold us, we all kind of got heated towards each other. I'm saying my stepbrother, my stepmom, and myself started screaming at each other about whether or not the Illuminati and the devil were real. (laughs) Guess what side I was on? I was saying it was all very real because I felt a lot of negative energy, usually in my stepmom and and my dad's room. And several other super scary things have happened to me and even to my dad in every house that we've ever lived in. Mm. Anyways, it got to the point that we were storming around the living room yelling at each other. Yikes. I was standing by myself in the corner of the living room and they were standing closer to the kitchen. I don't remember what we were saying actually like it felt like we were screaming nothing for five minutes but i felt so angry suddenly i felt a very very thick overwhelming evil presence around me Mm -hmm. i couldn't hear them screaming anymore even though they still were i felt like i couldn't take steps towards them even though i really wanted to it felt like time had stopped and i was stuck in a cold negative bubble all by myself My breath felt cold. That's how real it was to me. When I really focused back on my stepmother and brother's faces, I noticed they stopped yelling and they were staring at me with the most scared looks. 
probably what mine looked like actually. I finally caught my breath and asked for help and my stepmom reached out for me and hugged me and said some prayer. Everything stopped. I didn't feel the bubble anymore and I didn't feel alone. She started asking me if I was okay, not what happened though, which was weird. And they both told me later that they noticed I got quiet in the middle of them screaming and when they looked over, they saw a blackish energy behind me and surrounding Ooh. me. So, that's it. That is what my story is this time. One day I will email you another story, but thinking of this story again made me really scared. <laughs> Sorry, it's long. Love the bad podcast. Nia. Oh my gosh. How quickly the darkness came once it was called. It's scary because I feel like the way she described her stepmom practicing and she said that she messed with it when she was younger, I think yes. that's what's so terrifying because when you mess with something, it's clearly you don't have enough knowledge or ability to practice it correctly and it's clear it followed her around like there was a ton of horrible activity in her stepmom and her dad's room and it makes me wonder if the stepmom is extra sensitive to those things now because i feel like as soon like within minutes of them watching things that would let darkness in she caught them yeah she must have felt like something was off yeah Ugh. Ugh, that's so scary could you imagine and the the idea that it makes you scream and get so angry and caught up because it's feeding off of you and yeah, causing and screaming dark. about absolutely nothing, like yeah. not even knowing what you're saying. It's just you're taken over. Yeah, and it's almost like because she chose the argument of the devil and Illuminati being so real that this entity or dark force was like, yes, I'm taking you. Oh my god! Because she was the most fearful of it. Well. At least they were, I mean, as much as they dabbled in the darkness, or at least the stepmother did, and they've all experienced things, at least they're more educated than most on the topic. Mm -hmm. Slightly more prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Even just the tiniest bit, tiniest bit, so. Right. But also, don't, don't practice it. Maybe you can educate yourself without practicing. Right. Right. Okay. I have a story. This is from Irene, and it's titled Wicca. And she says, I've been recently thinking of studying Wicca. And I've said previously in other emails that my family has studied Santeria, the bad dark magic version. But I think since it kind of still flows in me, I might want to learn to control that via Wicca and good magic. I never fully believed in magic, which is crazy, right? Since I've only ever sent you guys stories of ghosts and aliens, but magic is a no-go for me. Well, that was until I healed my father-in-law. So one day, my father-in-law got really, really sick, and there was no doctor that was able to help him. He was in so much pain and sweating, vomiting, losing weight, and they couldn't find anything. So I was watching as he deteriorated. He became bedridden and was just plain miserable. He had hospitals looking him over and nothing. Blood work, nothing. CAT scans and MRIs, and again, nothing. They couldn't find anything wrong with him, but they could tell that his health was declining. Finally, he just didn't want to go to the doctors anymore. He was tired and bruised and in a pit of despair. My husband's family knew about my family's Santeria involvement, so they asked if I knew any healing rituals or anything. Honestly, I did not. I knew my mother knew a lot of bad curses, and my grandmother was once very devout, but I was not learned in any of that. I told my husband I didn't know anything, but I was going to try anyway, so I told my in-in-laws I knew some, lying to help. I went and grabbed an egg because I knew there was a ritual that required an egg in one of the goods, good magics, but I didn't know the ritual at all. I prayed using the egg. Honestly, I felt dumb, 
but I told my in-laws the point was to put all the bad stuff in the egg. They listened intently and did everything I said. I prayed and did a fake ritual, all the while asking God for help and praying that not only will he get better, but that nothing comes of me because of doing a fake ritual. I then cracked the egg, and weirdly, it had a it had spots all inside of the white part, as if it really did suck up all the bad stuff. I told them what to do, and they followed it, including keeping the egg under his bed while he slept. My grandma did that once when I was sick, and she said it was good, not bad. In the morning, the egg had literally cooked through, and part of it had turned red. What? His fever went down, he started to get his strength, and he got better. Almost like nothing ever happened. He's now laughing and very healthy, healthy, and my in-laws still think I saved him from death, but I'm not sure if I did. I mean, the things were weird and all, but it was, but maybe it was a coincidence. I don't know. Regardless, Wiccans are very spiritual and I want to get more in touch with my spiritual side. I don't want to do Santeria though, but I'm not sure how to start or who to contact. His parents think I should do it too because they think it would be nice to get more in touch with that part of me because how else can I help my daughter who's already showing signs of being sensitive? I've started tarot reading using a book to learn and so far most of most of my readings have been right on the money. And I also just get these feelings and they're usually right. I don't know. I just wanted to share that supernatural, not totally spiritual experience. Also, I believe my mother is the one who put something on my father-in-law. She's not a nice person and she was very angry with my in-in-laws around this time. I witnessed her putting curses and such on my brothers, which are her own kids. So it's not, not uncommon for her to do. She also wanted to give a present to my baby, a weird bracelet that was to ward off the evil eye, but I believe she did something to it. She said she had it blessed by a female pastor at a Catholic church. It was soaking wet in a bag, but as she is not Catholic and Catholic churches don't allow female priests, we decided not to put it on the baby. As we yes, were fe- that's probably the best call she, yeah. Irene could have made. Yes. As we were fearing, she did something to it. She got visibly upset and even a bit physical. She literally flipped a table full of food at me and the baby. Mind you, I was just out of surgery and couldn't get out of bed. She missed though, but this all happened when we told her we would add it to her memory book and she would not wear it. Irene. Okay. (laughs) I 100% think that Irene should get into it because obviously she's sensitive and obviously her family is and they do have abilities Mm -hmm. to use for good. And it sounds like she very much intends to use it for good. And she's also so much so that she's treading so lightly into that whole realm. Yes. Yes. I think the key importance is that she has good intentions. And I think growing up with someone who is so caught up in the dark magic, so much so that she would put bad spells on her own children, I I think it, it would encourage her even further to do good and and to like karma the good and evil in this world and the balance and and if her mother chooses to be so evil it's kind of beautiful for her to then be like i'm gonna counteract that evil with good right yeah it's crazy and the fact that she had no idea how to do a spell but the fact that she has this ability allowed her to complete a spell that she just made up she made it up completely and right it makes me think it's less about the words and way more about the intention and the use of energy yes i agree with that but i was gonna say if you have more questions obviously we cannot answer them for you (laughs) but we do have a tgog coven and plenty of people who know way more about this stuff than we do Mm -hmm. and they're all on our facebook yes so join that group but we also have our normal facebook group 
And if you have ghost stories or any stories about dark magic, black magic, or any of the stories we talk about, and if you have more information about them, you can email it to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. We have live shows. We should have said that in the beginning. I know. We have live shows coming up. Oh my gosh, please come. Please support us. We have our next one. It is June 16th. Mm-hmm. It's a Sunday. Father's Day. Bring your dads. <laughs> it is at 5 p.m. at Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville. Thank you. And then we also have another one July 14th in New York City at Gotham Comedy Club. And so we're super excited about those. Come support us. We would love to meet you and see you and and share our favorite spooky tales with you. Also, I want to thank Eric Foster at Upfire Digital for editing. He's currently on his honeymoon, so it's very uh, we're very grateful that he's still doing this for us. I know he's literally editing our episodes while on my dream honeymoon. Yeah. He's just in the woods. It's perfect. Yes, and we will see you on the other side very spooky